Hello, and welcome to the Andwise Podcast. We are delighted to have you here spending some time with us. Andwise is a technology platform that aims to empower medical students, trainees, and early career physicians navigate the complex financial journey that we all find ourselves on as we aim to help others. Thanks for joining us. Cheers. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Andwise podcast. Today, I'm so delighted to be joined by a fourth-year medical student, Ankur Gupta. He's one of our medical advisory board members at Andwise, and he's actually the first medical student I'm having as a guest on the podcast, so I'm very excited. Thanks for making time, Ankur. Thank you for having me. It's really nice to be here. I can never do justice to people's biographies. So why, why don't you tell us about yourself? I know you did undergrad at UC Berkeley, and then now you're at University of Louisville for medical school. But why, why don't you tell us in your own words, what has brought you up to this point of your career? Yeah, I would say I was born and raised in California for most of my life. Like you said, I did attend UC Berkeley. I majored in molecular cell and biology and then ended up going to University of Louisville for School of Medicine. I think my journey into medicine and kind of the business realm really started in undergrad at my time at UC Berkeley. I was very fortunate enough to meet wonderful colleagues at Berkeley where uh, we were able to partner up to co-found some organizations like React, which is an organic chemistry board game, which led to me co-founding uh, ASDRP with some of my friends and then leading to co-founding other organizations in medical school. I think something that's really stuck with me is that business side of medicine, which I really appreciate what Andwise does is to build the strong connection between the intersection of business and medicine and really try to bring that realm into the medical student life, just because it is somewhat neglected in the medical school system currently. And so that's why I wanted to join Andwise at this point was to give my time and experiences from my previous experiences to see if there's a better way to address those concerns. Yeah, absolutely. Most medical students, when they're in school, they're quite rightly focused on just becoming the best physician they can be. And sometimes their own personal lives sorts of takes a backseat, whether it's like we not exercising as much as we should, not needing what I did. I treated my student loans as like monopoly money. Um, I, I didn't get myself into any catastrophic trouble like accumulating credit card debt with interest. But I think if I had a student loan repayment strategy, I might have paid my loans off a little earlier than it took me like eight and a half, nine years. Everyone's family situation and personal lives different. But how has your journey been as a medical student? Have you thought about your financial stuff? Or are you, like most of us, putting it off to the future, to some magical future when you're a ENT attending? So I would say I am very fortunate that my parents actually never took out loans for medical school. This was a strategic move that my parents and I made early on in life. We tried to save up as much money. We did live a fairly frugal life to make sure that we were saving enough money. I do have some family members in medicine, more or less extended family members who advised us to save as early as possible because they were going through that repayment of the student loan process um, when they were going through medical school, residency and attending. One of the advices they did give was to, if you are certain you wanna go into medicine early on, that you should start saving as early as possible. It's not something that you should start in undergrad or even start thinking about medical school. This should be something 
that you're thinking about, even in middle school, elementary school, start a fund, start a bank account. I think it's just really important to start this thinking process early on, just because it is difficult to repay a lot of these student loans. You never know what's going to happen with the interest rates or credit scores or whatever it is to allow you to pay off that debt in the next five to 10 years. I think that really did train me though, to be efficient on where I spend my money. I would say, even though I grew up upper middle class, I am very wary of where I'm spending my money and how I'm spending it. And in medical school, my parents always ensured that I had some sort of job that I could take care of myself with, whether that was tutoring, whether that was working at a physical therapy office, whatever it was, I made sure that I was making some sort of money for myself, whether that's to pay off food, rent, whatever it is. In medical school specifically, I did do a lot of tutoring that was paid. And so that let me dictate, maybe not paying tuition per se, but at least it let me pay rent. It let me pay for my own personal expenses. And I was very cognizant of what exactly I was paying for. And then I ended up getting this really great research grant where a lot of it was to pay for research, but also for my own likelihood. I was able to pay for travel expenses and whatnot. My parents always instilled this into me is that to really, they will take care of the big expenses, whether it's tuition or whatnot, but personal finances, they always put upon myself and my siblings. Yeah, that's great. It, yeah, my, my parents helped me out with undergrad. I went to a very expensive private undergrad. I went to New York University. And back then, in 99 to 2003, it was like $22,000 each year tuition. And having moved from Australia where education's free, and that was insane amount of money for my parents to help me out with. And then when I came out of medical school, having gone to a public school, I had much less loans than some other people around me. I had 160K, but I look at some students nowadays that are much younger than me in their 20s coming out, and they have three, four, 500K, depending on where they went to undergrad and med school, and a really large sum of money to take care of. But that's great that you have a conscious spending plan, and you, it sounds like you've already started thinking about and been implementing things like budgets and about figuring out how not to squander your money getting into shopping addictions or things like that. Exactly. Unrelated to finances, though, how did you pick a specialty? And I'm, I'll tell you why I'm asking this question, because when I was a medical student, I feel like I changed my mind so many times. I wanted to be a surgical oncologist initially. I did research between my first and second year of summer while my friends were traveling Europe. I had already been to Europe the year before uh, during college. So I was like, I'm going to stay in New Jersey, do research. Then I was like, you know what? I don't want to do surgical oncology. I want to do, I forget what it was. And ultimately I settled on ophthalmology. I ended up taking a research year. I matched into ophthalmology. My PGY2 year, I absolutely hated it. I couldn't believe that I picked a field that was so competitive and I matched into it and then I didn't want to do it anymore. And I changed to internal medicine. All, all's not lost. I met my wife during our prelim year and I, uh, I wouldn't be married to her now if, if we didn't meet that year. But I, I'm always interested in asking med students, you're going to apply into ENT, right? So how yes. Did you, yeah. That's a how great did you question. Pick? That's a great question. I would say, so there's a few different factors that went into me wanting to do ENT. I think coming into medical school, I knew I wanted to do something surgical, hands-on. I played guitar a lot growing up. I had a nice Fender guitar. I always wanted to learn the solos for Eddie Van Halen, Slash. I always was intrinsically practicing my dexterity in some way or form. I played a lot of video games growing up as well. And so I knew something hands-on in medicine was what I wanted to do. I would also say that 
coming into medical school, I was in your shoes as well in that I had no idea what I wanted to do. For a while, I was considering neurosurgery. I was considering orthopedic surgery. I even was considering internal medicine, doing a fellowship in cardiology or hemonc. So I was all over the place. I think when I first started shadowing ENT, I liked the diversity of the procedures, even though it's cornered into the head and neck area specifically. I think it was really cool that each subspecialty of ENT is so unique in its own perspective, whether that's doing ear otology, you could be drilling a mastoid, getting to a tumor one day, and the next day you may be seeing a famous singer and doing laryngology airway recon, or you could be dealing in an emergency department and doing facial reconstruction because this poor patient got shot in the face. It's all these different types of things that are all encompassed in one specialty. I honestly think ENT is the IM of surgery because IM, you can encompass everything together. You're a generalist that you're seeing everything. And ENT, it's a little bit similar, although just in the head and neck area, but you're seeing a lot of really cool diseases and pathology related to the head and neck area. And so I really enjoyed that aspect of ENT specifically. Something I'm also really passionate about is the innovation side of ENT. Um, there's a lot of really great medical technology, a lot of really great digital medicine companies coming out of ENT. Um, one of my personal heroes is Dr. Josh Mackler from Stanford, and he's been so instrumental when it comes to sinus surgery with a clarent. It's such a dynamic field that ENT is that it allows future physicians or innovators to really make a mark on that field. And that's something that I hope to do in the future is build new medical technology, build new innovations that can improve patient care in the ENT realm. Yeah, that's awesome. Sounds like you have this much better thought out than I did. When I, was <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that might change. Uh, <laughs> that was an amazing answer. I'm, I'm glad that you've thought so much about it. The, the thing that I found confusing as a medical student was that every rotation I did, there were so many inspiring people and there were very few people that outwardly hated their lives. Yes, there was always like one or two that would sneak you into a hallway and be like, do not do this field. Yeah. But on the whole, it doesn't matter what rotation I was on, whether I was an OB, pediatrics, psychiatry, I never thought I'd like psychiatry rotating through. And I loved it. It was like, because a lot of the people that are inspiring wind up at teaching hospitals, right? And they get put on services where they're responsible for teaching residents and medical students, whereas the ones that might be technically good very good physicians, but aren't so people friendly or are, are hidden away from the students. So I always found that to be one factor why I liked so many fields. And then the other thing about ophthalmology was that I, I was inspired at one point by global health work. Later on, I did that work as an internal medicine doctor. But when I was interested in ophthalmology, there are all these people flying off into far off places and giving people their vision back with horrible cataracts that otherwise would have gone untreated. So I, th I think it's hard as a medical student because the core rotations are like lengthy. They're like eight to 12 weeks or whatever it is now. And then the electives, the onus is on, depending on where you go to medical school, the onus is on you to seek out those electives. My advice to everyone is try to get a picture about what to, your day-to-day -day life looks at, like not your worst moments when you're on call as a trainee, because clearly people survive six or seven years of neurosurgery residency. It can be done regardless of the field. And not to think about the highlights either. The highlights are important, like being able to do those amazing surgeries and procedures and get involved in innovation. But really think about your day-to-day -day life. Is that what I want to do? And that's ultimately what the 
nail in my coffin with ophthalmology was I just realized I picked a field because I was very immature. I didn't think about the day-to-day, although it's a surgical field, it's very clinic heavy still. And a lot of it is going from room to room seeing patients, which I personally realized about myself, I don't like. And my wife's a dermatologist, so she does that. She'll see 30, 40, 50 patients a day. Whereas now as a hospitalist in my career, no matter how busy the day is or how many critically ill patients there are, you can still sneak away downstairs for a coffee or quickly stuff your face with a sandwich and run back up to the floors. But where I'm going with that giant rant is, yeah, it's very important to research your your field about what the day-to-day is. I Yeah, I would agree with you. You touched up on a lot of really great points. One thing that I always wished in medical school, although it is four years, it does feel rushed. It's hard to go through every rotation, see the day-to-day life, because as a medical student, you're just there to pre-round, to round. You may do a couple consults and that's the end of the day. And so it's difficult sometimes to get that day-to-day for a longitudinal period to see if that's something that you really want to do. And something I 100% agree with you on, which you also said, is that every specialty, I also somewhat fell in love. I can definitely see myself being a psychiatrist, being a neurologist, being a general surgeon, like everything. There was always a really good pro that I was like, huh, maybe, you know what, this might be a really great feel for me. And I think maybe towards the end of those rotations, something clicked in me and said, you know what, maybe doing an appendectomy for the 10th time maybe isn't enough for me. It's hard to say what's the right answer. And I agree with you, it does fall upon the medical student to seek out those early shadowing opportunities or those early opportunities to learn the day in the life. And I know there's some YouTube videos or some YouTube influencers who do try to take you behind the scenes for those day in the lives, but it's so hard to really understand it without experiencing it firsthand. And I think on fourth year, we do these sub-I rotations where we spend a whole month as an elective to be at a hospital with the specialty of interest. And even those, you get a day in the life story, but it's still so hard until you're in residency. I hope they're normalizing, changing residencies in the middle, whether it's going from one specialty to the another. I think it should become more normalized, to be honest with you, just because It's hard. In four years, it's hard to dictate what you're going to do for the rest of your life. Coming into medical school, I had a completely different specialty and doing ENT. And so things can change very drastically. Yeah, I think people don't talk about it. My year when I changed from PGY2 opto, finishing out that year and then starting again as a PGY2 internal medicine, there was one person that changed from radiology, one person that changed from, um, where did she come from? Anesthesia. And then I I forget what the third one was, but there were actually four of us. Uh, I was surprised when you're going through it. You're like, oh, my God, no one's ever done this before. But I stayed at NYU and it was funny for the next two years. I had to listen to the ER docs tell me every day that I'd made the worst mistake of my life. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, everyone always has their opinion. So medical students right now, I want to ask you in terms of um, tools to help you manage your life outside of medicine, Do you use any tools to track your budget? I know like I've talked to multiple guests before. I myself have used like Mint for a decade, but some people use YNAB, which is you need a budget. Some people use Monarch Money, Personal Capital, which is now Empowered. Do you use any of those things or are you like a spreadsheet, do-it-yourself person? Exactly. The second type. I like to have my own Excel spreadsheet in which I dictate how much money am I getting monthly? 
how much money can I allocate to rent or how much money is allocated to rent for possible food for gas, just because I have to drive to medical school every day. I'm not a huge fan of those kinds of apps specifically. I know typically for medical students, they do suggest to use Y Code Investor, which has been a great tool, but I do wish there was a better app that does allocate your budget a little bit more effectively, just because a lot of them either require some sort of premium subscription where you have to pay a handsome amount of money for services or the user interface isn't as user-friendly as it should be. And so there was a lot of discussion where I was trying to figure out what's the best way to allocate my budget. Personally, for me, I've been using an Excel spreadsheet, but I'm hoping that in the future and wise, it'd be great to have a better user-friendly app to help allocate that budget. Yeah, we're definitely, Kanav, our CEO is leading our dev team right now. The, the AIMS match day for coming out with the actual technology platform yeah. that, that's a secure interface that's going to serve as like the backbone to give people targeted nudges and a dashboard basically of your personal and finan financial professional life. I never had this when I was a medical student, but I keep hearing people talking about Anki and yeah. Anki cards and things like that. But away from personal finance for a second, update us old people about what, what else is happening these days on the app front besides people using yeah. YouTube and social media apps and stuff. Uh, because I'll tell you on the attending front, what I use, what I use basically every single day is Epocrates to look up drugs, dosages, mm -hmm. interactions. I use UpToDate for evidence-based learning, and I use a scheduling software called Amion. But other than that, on the app front and Doximity, actually, I'm, I'm not saying that because Kanav's an <laughs> alumni. I'm saying that because the Doximity, surprisingly, the eFax feature is still shockingly helpful in the digital age of electronic medical records. I still, so that I don't have to run from one floor of the hospital to the other, I just have them send a secure e-fax to me with outside records. But what are on the medical student front I'm interested, besides these Anki cards, what do you and your cohorts use every single day related to your being a medical student in your life? You spoke on the biggest one. I mean, I would say is like the holy grail for medical students at this point. There's always phenomenal students posting on Reddit sub threads about the newest Anki deck for board exams, for shelf exams and whatnot. And so I think on a day-to-day -day basis, I can say most, if not all medical students are using some form of Anki just for memorization purposes. Besides Anki though, we do, we still use update. I personally always use UpToDate. I think it's the most accurate medical information that you can find when it does come to learning more about treatment options, diagnostic management. We also do use AMBOSS at times, not as frequently used, but it is good for board exams. And I did occasionally use it for when I was on clinical rotations just to, unless there was like some sort of pimping question that was coming at me, or I wanted to learn a little bit more on the board exam level, I think AMBOSS was very effective. Besides that, there are some YouTube influencers that I found very effective. I think one that I would love to give a shout out to is Ninja Nerd. Uh, Ninja Nerd is this really great YouTuber who does a lot of really great extensive topic discussions on different principles in medicine. He was really effective when it came to, especially the first two years of medical school, where we're doing predominantly the didactics, where we're learning cardiology, all the GI systems we're going through biochemistry, anatomy, all that fun stuff. So he was really helpful. And I think a lot of medical schools 
and students do use that especially as well. But yeah, I would say besides those apps, medical students, honestly, we're so engrossed in our own education that it's so hard to really gain an understanding of other types of apps that could be effective. Where I would say personally for me, I'm more of a minimalist. So I only try to find the really helpful apps that I know can benefit me in the long term. I did use a lot of Doximity in the clinical rotations as well. Shout out, but I know he did come up with the Doximity collar, which I used almost every day when it's on clinical rotations and was very helpful for HIPAA related stuff. Definitely Doximity is very much used up to date. We do have Epic apps also just to access patient information when needed. Just for me personally, I'm more of a minimalist, so I don't keep a lot of apps on my iPhone, only the ones that are beneficial or more to use for me. Yeah, I know. I, I have app fatigue myself. It's like exactly. annoying how what, what you could use a mobile optimized site for before. Now nearly every site wants you to download their app and sign up, and it's annoying at times. I was going to ask you about, again, something not directly personal finance related. You're in, interested in innovation. You're going into a highly competitive field like ENT. Do, do medical students, or have you personally, do you ever think about personal branding. And what, what I mean by that is, unfortunately, in today's day and age, everything seems to be about like digital squatting. People have common names, populations only growing and LinkedIn, you have a LinkedIn, I have a LinkedIn. And I know I didn't do this until the end of residency until I became an attending. I didn't really lock down my own name, either domains or like forward slash on Instagram, Facebook. I'm not saying everyone has to, but I'm just saying as a medical student, is that something you've ever thought about? Yeah, um, that's a great question. I would say personally, I think it's very helpful. I, I would say for me, I haven't been as effective in doing that, but I do know a lot of my fellow colleagues who have done it, who have been very successful in building a brand based off their name. It has really shown when they match in residency or whatever products they end up creating at the end of it. It does come a little bit with, the personality you have as well. I consider myself more of an introvert extrovert where in big groups or even in social media platforms, you know, nowadays I do consider myself more of an introvert. I'm not someone who is posting about myself on the daily or trying to get my name out there. Um, and that has its pros and cons as well. But an extrovert, when it does come to people I'm very close with or people who I'm willing to share my ideas and solutions with as well. But it is very important. I think especially in this digital world that we're living in right now, I think it's more important than ever to build your name, build your brand, because you never know where it can take you. We have one of the more famous medical influencers, Dr. Mike uh, from New York. He was a family medicine physician, and now he's built such a big brand for himself. He's meeting all these celebrities. He's doing all these great causes. I really support what he's doing. He's really bringing more medical information to the general public. It's really cool that as medical students or physicians, we can bring all this really great medical information to the general public. I think, especially after COVID, when there's such a big mistrust between patients and providers and all healthcare professionals, I think it's more important than ever to actually start to build your name and brand. And you asked, I personally haven't done as much as I can. I think I should at some point, but at the stage of my career, I don't feel super comfortable doing it just because I want to, I don't know if I want to build products first and then start to build my name off of that rather than build my name off of my own brand and then start to innovate or start to more collaborations or partnerships with other folks. 
I think I've really I've built a great support system through some of my other innovation opportunities with a lot of great mentors. Actually, the reason why I came involved with Andwise is because one of my mentors, Alex Ding from University of Louisville, he connected me with, and that's actually how I got involved with Andwise. And I couldn't be more happier, but I always cherish those one-on-one relationships with mentors that I have, who I will still consistently text or talk to. Those are the relationships I cherish rather than building my name on Instagram, having thousands of followers, and then maybe having one or two that reach out about it. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's a great take. We're, we're coming up on time, but I was, I was going to ask you, everyone's financial situation is different. Obviously, some people have loans, some people don't. You've worked through medical school, tutoring and stuff like that. What, and, and maybe you can't anticipate this. I can't even remember if I could when I was a fourth year medical student. But when you go into residency, you're suddenly going to face this situation where you're entering a competitive residency. There's 300 and something spots in the ENT. I mean, you might have to move across the country, right? Depending on where you match. Have any of your peers like discussed like what that transition is or what challenges they face? And I'll give you an example. I stuck around in the Northeast because my family moved from Australia to New Jersey. I went to NYU undergrad, then I went to the state school in Jersey, then I went back to NYU for residency. So the biggest stressor for me was like, oh my God, how am I going to find an apartment when I start? And and New York, even in 2007, 2008, was still a madhouse to find housing. I, I ultimately got like a fourth floor walk up that was half my paycheck. But that was my biggest stressor. Is there anything that you and your colleagues discuss or not really? Money such a taboo subject that like sometimes it just doesn't come up even between close friends. Yes, multiple conversations. A lot of my friends actually are in residency currently. The reason was that because I did take a research gap year uh, between my third and fourth year of medical school. So I was a year off. So a lot of my friends that I was supposed to graduate with already graduated. And so we have discussions very frequently about this. I think that initial transition is always going to be hard, whether it's going from across the country, like you mentioned, or even going more locally, it does get a little lonely. It does get a little lonely because you're not around a lot of your support network that you may have built in medical school, or you're not around family. You mentioned the financial sector of it, paying for rent, paying for food, having a monthly stable salary. It's a very new idea for a lot of medical students, having to manage those finances on a monthly basis. Um, I think a lot of times in medical school, we're helped a lot by our parents, but once we actually start making money, it does become our independent responsibility to see how we can actually allocate those funds. Applying for a new credit card, starting to think about investing in stocks and whatnot. I think this is all a new concept that all happens very quickly between fourth year and residency. And so I think a lot of my friends did struggle those first couple of years trying to figure out how much money we can actually spend on rent, how much money we can spend on food. A lot of them took up cooking as a result of that, not having to buy or DoorDash food every week. It was very difficult for a lot of them, but over time they do adjust. I think residents especially always build a strong support network amongst each other. I know a lot of my friends who ended up getting apartments, they reached out to a lot of their fellow residents to understand whether it's in New York, Chicago, San Francisco, understand where the nicer areas are where cheaper apartments you may be able to find, especially if you're commuting for residency. And I agree with you. I think it's not talked enough about that transition as much. I think mental health is definitely an issue that comes along in that first year, especially if you're going to a surgical residency. And 
understanding the finances of it are extremely important that obviously are not discussed enough in medical school. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm going to let you go in one second, but what do you think are the sites right now or the forums that people in your stage of training use? You mentioned Reddit. Is that like a go-to place where people go to ask questions or is Facebook yeah. in or out for the younger generation? I would say probably Reddit is one of the top yeah. resources that people use. I think there's a lot of really great subreddits, whether it's within medicine in general, whether it's specific to subspecialties or personal finances. So everyone's always posting on Reddit. Facebook, I don't think not as much anymore, unfortunately. And I don't think people use Instagram. I guess nowadays people are like watching a lot of reels on TikTok, Instagram, YouTube. And so I think that's become more of the norm now is to broadcast a lot of that information or educational resources on those small little reels as well. But I would say Reddit, White Coat Investor is also one that folks use, but is underutilized. I know AMA also has a couple of resources in that realm as well. Yeah. Well, listen, thank you so much for your time. Any parting words for people that are behind you on this journey, perhaps college students or people, anything else? Or you've said plenty. I really appreciate all the pearls of wisdom. No, no, thanks for having me. I would say it's a hard journey, but it's not impossible. I think if you surround yourself with the right people, if you're strong, determined, and willed, I think you can achieve what you want to achieve. I think when it does come to the personal finance realm, it is important to address, sorry if you can hear my dog whimpering, but <laughs> in the background, but I think it's really important to understand that transition is difficult between fourth year and residency. And that if you do surround yourself with the right group of people and you do have a strong support network, whether it comes to finances or your mental health, I think um, it will vote very well for you. Yeah, absolutely agree. Thanks again, Ankur. Have a great Thank night. You. Thank you.